This podcast is a presentation of Gateway Fellowship, Paulsville, Washington. Experience community, find hope. Check us out at gatewayfellowship.com. You ready to dive into 2 Timothy? Okay. So what, what if I make you mad? Is that all right? What if I just challenge you a little bit? Is that okay? How about if I pastor you a little bit? Okay. So how many have ever had one of those what a kind of a, not just a what if moment. We, we get all those, but kind of a what if thought in your life. And so you thought like, what if this happens or what if this takes place? And so Jen and I, um, we were getting ready to travel internationally with a group. And, and so we kind of had that what if, you know, so like, what if something happens to us and like, we don't come back? Have you ever been there? Yeah, so what if something happens? And so um, um, we, we, what we did is we wrote a letter to our kids. And so we have two boys. They're both married, four grandchildren. So we wrote, we wrote a letter. So like what if mom and dad don't, for some reason, make it home, this is, the, here's some things. And so where so you find some stuff and then some personal words and concluded with, we'll see you on the other side. And if you've ever been there, that's kind of not, that's not really, that can be an emotional place, can it? You start thinking about your life. You start thinking about those who you love being left behind. And so it's kind of a difficult, emotional place to be. And maybe some of you are, are, are there right, right now. I mean, you've given thought to that. You've thought about that. And so you, you are, have prepared some things in the event of the, of the what if. And if you're not there, um, maybe you will get there. So it's not just for people who I call in their wisdom years. So people in their wisdom years are, are older people. <laughs> older than me. And so anyway, but it can be younger people too, right? It can be young, younger people too. So maybe, maybe you, you, you've been there. So as followers of Jesus, then we do both, don't we? <clears throat> so we look back at what's taking place in our, in our life. And to that moment when we receive Christ, and then we look forward to, because we're looking forward to what? To eternity, right? And so as we continue in 2 Timothy, we're going to consider both the author, Paul, and the recipient of this letter, Timothy, because this is, this is where Paul, Paul is. We'll dive more than that in just, just a moment. But remember that the letters to Timothy are, are part of a small collection of, of personal letters. So Timothy, Titus, and, and, and Philemon. But we need to remember this because you're reading, so many of you are reading through 2 Timothy and 1 Timothy 2. And I would just encourage you to keep doing that. They're short, short letters. And you see like to, to Timothy, right? The letters are to Timothy, but they're for you and me. Do you, yes? Okay. They're to Timothy, but they're for you and me. And how, how do we know that to be true? Well, we know that to be true by the very words of Paul himself in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse number 16. All, all scripture, everybody say all. All scripture is breathed out by God and pro- profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. All scripture is breathed out by God. It's God's word. And it's profitable for teaching and for, for correction, the letter to Timothy is for you and me. And we do know, right, that sometimes Scripture brings correction. Yes? Sometimes it brings reproof. We may not always like what Scripture is saying. We might not even agree with everything that Scripture is saying. But it's God's word breathed out to you and, and to me. What do we do? 
We agree. We disagree. Here's what I want you to remember. God's word is God's word. Whether you like it or agree with it or not, it's God's word because it is. It's not God's word because you happen to agree with it. And it's not God's word because you like it. It's God's word because it is God's word. It's breathed out. It's for you and for me. Sometimes we fall into the trap by going like, okay, I, I agree with that. God, thank you very much. I agree with it. Therefore, it's a word for me. But what about those parts of scripture that correct you? Or correct me, or bring reproof, will cause us to grow. It's still his word. Now, Paul authored, of course, um, and, and you probably know this, more books of the New Testament than any, anyone else. And he's writing this letter near the end of his life. Now, um, no one really knows exactly how long, but it's near the end of his life. And near the end of his life, as Paul is writing to Timothy, for you and me, he's, he's looking back. And here's what he says in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 6 and 8. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering. We'll talk about that in a moment. And the time of my departure has come. He knows that the end of his life is coming. And so he's writing to his beloved son in the faith. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who loved his appearing. This, at least in my version, ESV version, this 73-word letter to Timothy sums up Paul's life and his passion. Let's go back to I'm being poured out like a drink offering. It's significant and taken from the Old Testament, in fact, and uh, um, where Numbers chapter 15, verse 7, it says this, and for the drink offering, you shall offer a third of a hint of wine, a pleasing aroma to the Lord. And so Paul says, I am being poured out like a drink offering. So what Paul's doing, he's using a technical term here, use of a, of a cup of wine, um, it, it, the Romans would use in a sacrifice that they would pour out to the gods, small g, by the way. Apparently, and there's reason to believe that, that um, following every Roman meal, this gesture was, was given, right? Going to pour out a, a little wine. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 6, it says, My life has already been poured out as an offering to God. Paul is speaking of his purpose and his passion in life. My life is an offering to him that I'm pouring out to him as a sacrifice. Gordon Fee says this, a, more, a metaphor implies that the whole present ordeal, that is his circumstance that he is in right then, in prison, facing death, the whole ordeal is being poured out to God, being offered to God as a sacrifice, culminating in death, and it's a libation unto the Lord. Every moment, every circumstance, every opportunity, 
of my life is being poured out to the Lord. So now place yourself in the position of Timothy, the recipient of, of this letter, the beloved child. And he's, he's reading these words. We know that Paul was a man of passion, right? I mean, even before um, his experience on the road to Damascus, when he, he met the Lord, he passionately persecuted Christians. And that passion carried over into his life for Christ. And Paul's proclamation was simply this, Philippians chapter 1, verse 21, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. So as he's looking back at his life, look, I live for Christ, but when I die, that's just gain for me. He's looking back and he's looking ahead. Now eventually the word came down to Timothy that Paul's life had ended. And just imagine for just a moment how he eulogized his spiritual father, Paul, right? Now, we know, know that Paul was a, a tent maker by trade. So that's how he made his, his living. And don't you suppose that Timothy eulogized Paul by saying he was, a, he was the greatest tent maker you would ever know? Don't you know that? Don't you think that when... Timothy thought about his spiritual father. He said, you, you can't believe the quality of tents that Paul made. My goodness, if you get a tent that had that Paul emblem on it, you, you had the best, man. You had the best. Can you, you just imagine that that's how Timothy eulogized his spiritual father? I don't think so. I don't think so for a moment. What he did say was Paul lived for Christ for one thing. That was to make the name of Jesus famous. I think that's what he would have said. I think that's what he said. Paul's passion in life was to live for Christ. Everything he did. He may have been making tents, but listen, it was only for one purpose. It was, it was so that he could live out this passion to make the name of Jesus famous in all life. It's the difference between occupation and vocation. You know, I've talked about that in the past. So we all have different occupations, like we do different things, but our vocation is to go into the world and make disciples, right? To make the name of Jesus famous everywhere. That was Paul's passion in life. Bronnie Ware is a name that you may not be, be familiar with. I, I read about her some, some years ago. I've always remembered this. She worked for many years in palliative care. She was a nurse, and so her patients had gone home to die, and she was usually with them for three to 12 weeks or three to 10 weeks, something, but it was at the end of, of their life. And she says this, people grow a lot when faced with their own mortality. People grow a lot. Like when you know the end of your life is coming, you begin to think about a lot of things that you maybe didn't quite give thought to yesterday. When people are at the end of life, they, they, they just grow a lot and they reflect on life. And so she questioned many about any regrets. Do you have any regrets in life? And she made a list of them. Like, what would you do differently in life as you're now reflecting back? What would you do differently? And, and she said there was a common theme amongst the men. It's a common theme. 
What do you suppose it was? Man, he gave his life to his career. I'm so glad I did that. You think that was it? What do you think? I, I'm so thankful that I made all of this money in life. I'm so thankful I was able to buy the house and buy the car and do this. You think that was it? I told you I was going to probably like make you upset. You know, you, you know what the common regret amongst men was? Here we go right here. I wish I didn't work so hard. <laughs> All the men I nursed deeply regretted spending so much of their lives on the treadmill of a work existence. Hmm. So, I've thought about that. And I've thought about my own life, and I've thought about what my kids and my grandkids and my wife might say. I remember one time, um, prior to coming to here to serve you, um, we had a particularly, particularly busy month. I was gone, like almost every night. And I remember when we were making the move, my oldest son said to me, Dad, I, I just hope we'd ever have an October again like that. And so I've thought about the question that I'm going to ask you this morning. I'm still on my introduction, by the way. Here we go. I, I just want you to answer the question like, at the end of my life, people will say of me, he, she, live for what? What, what, what would you put in that blank r right now? Like, he, he lived for this, or she lived for that. What would you do? See, I don't think when we, when we head off into eternity, we're going to hear these words, well done, good and faithful career person. <laughs> well done. Man, you made a lot of money in life. Well done. Well done. You lived in the big, I am thankful, don't get me wrong, I am thankful for the blessings of the Lord. Well done, good and faithful servant. You live to make the name of Jesus famous. So from Paul's life, we learn nothing else is more important than our life lived for Christ. Nothing is more important. How would you fill in that blank? Let's take a quick look at Timothy the recipient of the letters. Give you some bullet points. Timothy was the son of a Greek father and Jewish mother. Joined Paul, one of his later missionary journeys. He was young, man, late teens, early 20s. Later became a pastor. Held genuine faith, and we read that in Paul's opening words of his letter to Timothy. Apparently had a chronic illness, and so 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 23, Paul gives him the cure for that. That's Timothy. But as we work through, and I'm so thankful for so many who are, are reading First and Second Timothy, but as we work through this letter, I want to suggest something, and it says that Paul was building and shoring up the foundation on which Timothy would stand. And we're going to see that in just a moment, particularly as he, particularly as he faced, would face challenges in life. So Paul is saying, Timothy, as I look back, as I look ahead, here's what I want you to stand on because there are going to be some things that you're going to face in life 
They're going to chip away. They're going to seek to chip away at the foundation that we stand on. Paul was building up that foundation. I've often said here at, at Gateway, I've, I've used this kind of this analogy, this metaphor, that we all stand on the platform built by someone else. So as I, I look back, I'm thankful for godly leaders like um, Al, Pastor Al Munger, Pastor Mark Pearson, and their team that built the foundation that we stand on today. They were godly leaders and because they led the way they did, because they stood on a biblical foundation, we are here today. So this is what Paul is doing. He's building, he's shoring up the foundation on which Timothy would stand. We, we titled this series, um, Living Forward. But I, I think as I reflected back on that, we could have, could have titled it like foundations, right? So this is what the Bible is saying about the foundation on which we stand, but living, living forward. So let me share with you the teaching of Jesus, because um, he taught about foundations too. So if you're a Bible reader, at the end of his most famous message, right, the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus concluded it talking about foundations. And uh, this is what he said in, in Matthew chapter 7. Every, everyone then who hears these words of mine and does what? Does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and they were used to rain just like us, Okay. And the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat that house. But it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. But what happens to those who do not? And everyone who hears these words of mine, and what does not do them, will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand, and the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat against that house, and it fell, and great was the, the, the fall of it. So one hears and does, speaking of foundations, one hears and doesn't. So one hears the word of God and does it, one hears and doesn't. Foundations. Based on the action or the inaction of the hearer. That's you and that's me. When times of trouble come or things come to kind of chip away at the foundation, one of two things is going to happen. It's the teaching of Jesus, teaching of the psalmist. Um, I was impacted. Uh, my day starts in, in the psalms. I reflect on the psalm before I go on to some other reading and so on. And I was impacted a couple weeks ago um, in a way like I have never been with this psalm. I want to share it with you because it, it really is what we're talking about about today, and I actually posted my thoughts on a, on a devotional that some, some, of you, some of you read. And it says, Psalm that says in Psalm chapter 11, verse 3, if the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? And I just have to tell you that when I read those words, I sat in my chair, and throughout the day, I just kept thinking about that. Like, if, if the foundation, it's the what if, if the foundations are destroyed, what do we do? What do the righteous do? It was a what if that struck me in such a powerful way. David is asking this question as he's considering the foundations of life. If they're destroyed, what happens? The verse has been applied 
to everything that we know, like our family, if the foundations of our family are destroyed, what happens? Government, culture, personal faith, and I believe values. If the foundation of our biblical values are destroyed, what happens? One commentary says this, if the most crucial, important building blocks are dissolved, there is simply nothing to be done to avoid disaster. See, the foundation that we must stand on without reservation is the word of God. Truth matters and where you get your truth matters. And I don't need to tell you that everything in the world today, so many things in the world today, are seeking to chip away at that very foundation, God's word. We must stand without reservation on God's word, the Bible. Truth matters and where we get our truth matters. Often, thank you for that. In fact, it's a good place for everyone to say amen. 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 It seems that everything in the world is set up to cause us or at least to seek to pull us away from God's words. And let's be honest, sometimes our feelings do that. Sometimes we go like, well, I, I feel this way. And we find our feelings beginning to shift this way. But the question that I ask myself, and I just encourage you, do my feelings align with God's word? Further from a commentary, Bible rep, David knew what would happen if the enemy triumphed because he was Israel's king. If the enemy succeeded, the nation's very foundations would be destroyed. Law and order grounded in righteousness and justice under the headship of the godly king would crumble. Evil and chaos would ensue. And I will tell you, as I just reflected and meditated on the what if, I, I can't tell you, I wish I could say that all the anger that I have is righteous anger, but that wouldn't be true. There are some things I get so angry at what's happening in the world today because of the, of the, of the uh, attempt to chip away at the foundation of God's word. But the foundations will not be destroyed if followers of Jesus stand for righteousness. That's you and that's me. The foundation will not be destroyed if we stand for righteousness. Paul talked to Timothy about foundations. He says this to Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 13. Follow the pattern of the sound words that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. So Timothy, follow these words. Stand on these words. Don't veer away from them in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. And so in Paul's letter, as he seeks to build the foundation, shore it up, um, he reminds Timothy of doctrinal truth and instructs him in some things that he would experience in faith. So here are some of them. He said, we don't operate from a spirit of fear, but of power and love and self-control. That's a foundational truth. This is a faith, not of works, but of grace. That's a foundational truth. Suffering is a part of life. And we go like, say that again. Suffering is a part of life. 
Five times Paul mentions suffering, and that does not count the times he speaks of persecution. The problem with some is that we do not have a biblical theology of suffering. So when it comes, when suffering comes, when persecution comes, our foundation crumbles. We'll talk more about that next week. We need a biblical theology of suffering in life. The role of the Holy Spirit in the believer, how he leads us and directs. That's a foundational truth. Dealing with those who walk out of relationship. You've dealt with that. I've dealt with that. Paul deals, dealt with that. Like he had people desert him. What do we do? Youthful passions. And scripture, of course, that's the foundational truth. Now, Paul says, uh, Timothy, there's going to be some threats coming against the foundation of God's word. And here's what he says in 2 Timothy, Timothy chapter 3. But understand this. So you can almost get the kind of parent thing going there, right? Like, understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, and proud and arrogant. Abusive, disobedient to parents. I didn't say it. <laughs> Bible said it. <laughs> Ungrateful, <laughs> unholy. Heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control. Think of Paul just writing this list. Brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness, but denying his power. And he says, like, avoid such people. Here's what I think he's saying. Like, don't let those people chip away at this foundation that I'm talking to you about. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you five ways to build a solid foundation. Now, there are more than five, and you probably have some better ones than I have. But I'm going to give you five ways to build a foundation in life. You ready? Here they are. Um, number one. Decide what's important, not what's convenient or easy. Uh. I mean, let, let's be honest. Like, sometimes we go like, okay, that would be convenient. I can do that. Okay, that would be easy. I can do that. No, we decide what's the most important thing. We don't start with the convenient or easy. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 26 and 27. So I run, Paul, I run with purpose in every step. I'm not just shadow boxing. I discipline my body like an athlete, training it to do what I should. It's not always easy, and it's not always convenient. The important, but it's always right. So we decide what's important, not what's convenient or easy. How about this one here? We, we just keep, keep the flame hot. Keep the flame hot. Paul reminds Timothy to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of hands. So the me metaphor that's going on here is one of kind of rekindling a waning flower. You, you've done that. If you started a fire, it starts to go out. What do you do? You get down there, you blow on it, right? You do all of that. You get dizzy because you're blowing so hard. Um, rekindle the, 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 the waning fire. It's not that the fire has gone out. Paul was convinced that Timothy possessed 
true faith, no doubt about that. So he urged him to like, keep this flame hot. And maybe better rendered this way, keep, keep it at full flame. Like, don't, don't let it dim. Keep it at full flame. Um, your God-given ability for ministry by, that you receive by the laying out of hands. Paul's not talking about him losing his salvation. That God's gifts must be used. And he's gifted you. He's gifted each and every one of us. So we, we keep the flame hot. Because here's what I want you to remember. What consumes you controls you. What consumes you, controls you. If you're consumed by the word of God, it's the word of God that will control you. If, if there's some passion in your life, whatever, and that's what consumes you, that's what will control you. What consumes you, controls you. Keep the flame hot. Number three, you, you would probably add this, be a consistent Bible reader. There isn't, no, you like to eat? <coughs> we all do, right? Yes? You're already planning and thinking about what you're going to eat as soon as I'm done. I know what you're doing, right? So there isn't one of us that would reduce our, our, our food intake to once a week. Not one of us, right? So the follow-up question is like, but do we do that with God's word? Just a question. Second Timothy chapter two, God's truth stands firm like a foundation stone. We must consume it. Number four, be accountable. So that's why we talk about groups. Disciple and be disciple. That's what I love about the two groups I'm in, my, my guys group and then my other group um, um, that Megan and Josh talked about. Like you, we disciple one another and we're disciples and we are discipled. And it brings accountability. We are not meant to do life alone. And finally, last one, Lord's Prayer. So I love the Lord's Prayer out of Luke chapter 11, verses 2. Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins. For we were ourselves um, forgive everyone indebted to us and lead us not into temptation. So I'm just going to give you five ways to pray the Lord's Prayer. And guess what? They all start with a P. P, pray. I thought it was genius. Come on. Okay. So, pre pray. Okay, here we go. So, number one, Lord's Prayer. Praying the Lord's Prayer. Luke, out of Luke. Uh, whatever, whichever gospel you want. Okay. Praise, right? The Father, hallowed be your name. So we begin with the time of, of praise. Many of you do that already. But the second one might be a little bit of a change, and it's this, plan. Your kingdom come. See, sometimes when we're praying, you know what we pray? Like, I'm guilty of it too. Like, okay, God, here's, here's the plan for today, right? Here's what I want you to do for me today. No, we, we plan. So your kingdom, God, God your plan and your purpose. So I have begun to pray this in my own life. I have prayed it for all of you. I pray for Gateway God, your plan and your purpose here. Your plan and your purpose in my life. Your plan and your purpose in my wife's life. Your plan and your purpose in my kids and my grandkids' life. God, your kingdom come, your plan, your purpose. The third one is provision. Give us each day our daily bread. He invites us to come to him and share our needs. And he 
is the one who provides for our needs. So provision. And then, and then the next one is called present. So let's go like present our failings to God. How many failed this past week? So, some of you are honest, okay? Like, if we're all honest, we, we did. So we present our failings to God. And aren't you thankful for the, for the forgiveness and mercy of God? Oh, I am. And then and finally, protection. Lead us not in, into temptation. Protect us from the evil one. Because here's the reality. There's an evil one out there who is seeking to chip away at the foundation on which we stand. I don't need to tell you that. You already know that. There's an evil one seeking to destroy what God is doing in the world today. But as we stand, faithful followers of Jesus stand on God's word. As we trust in him, as we walk in obedience to him, the foundations will not be destroyed. The righteous will prevail. I am so thankful for that. Are you? But listen, it's not somebody else's foundation that the enemy is trying to chip away at. It's yours and it's mine. So what's the one thing, maybe off that list, that you would commit yourself to today? Maybe not, maybe you're gonna switch from, hey, this has been convenient or easy, this, I'm gonna do what's right and what's important. Maybe that's it. Maybe it's a, re, a renewed um, commitment to reading the Bible. Maybe the prayer. Maybe it's one of those. What's the one thing that God might be speaking to you about today? Let's stand together, shall we? I'm going to pray, and we're just going to commit that to the Lord, and then we're going to sing, and then we'll be gone heading out into the world where we get to do life. We get to allow Jesus to live in us and through us because we are standing on the firm foundation, yes. So Father, be with us today as we make, for some of us, maybe a brand new commitment to you. We've been drawn to the convenient. We've been drawn to the easy. Maybe, maybe, as we thought about what I want to be known for, there's going to be a shift there. I don't know. God, you speak to all of us in different ways. So, Lord, as we commit ourselves to you, standing on your firm foundation, as we head out in the world, God, give us spiritual eyes to see what you're doing in the world, spiritual understanding of how you want to use each and every one of us, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.
blessing and honor and glory and power. Amen. Amen.